Hello and welcome to the Edify Podcast. This is designed for you, preacher, teacher, shepherd, deacon of the kingdom of God, for your edification, for your uplifting, for your ministry. Dear Edify, last Sunday I was struck by Paul's words in Philippians 4 that he had learned the secret of, to contentment. The Lord has given me a great place to serve, and I think it's going reasonably well. I enjoy the deep study of Scripture that comes with preaching every week, and I probably spend at least 50 hours per week on church work. I continue to grow in my knowledge of the things of God, but my devotional life is lifeless. I'm just not content. I fret over a lot of things, especially whether the church is flourishing under my leadership. Whether I'm working hard enough or whether I know enough, I'll admit that though things are going well at the church, I'm not thrilled that other churches around us are growing while we seem to have plateaued. The church has done fairly well under my and the elders' leadership, but to be frank, I expected more. Yes, I realize I have much to be content over, but no amount of success ever seems to do it for me. Why am I feeling this way? What has left me feeling so listless, even subtly bitter? Faithfully, your friend, discontented preacher. Many who start out on the preaching, shepherding, eldering uh, work uh, never get to the finish line. And it's a grievous, uh, grievous percentage. it may be one of the main reasons that people don't last, preachers don't last, I think maybe is because nobody has warned them about the ways that ministry can tempt a person with pride. And this is where Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10 have been so helpful to me as a preacher. Um, Paul, the very apostle, trained in theology and for ministry by the actual risen Christ, warns us that theological training in life and ministry can lead to conceit if you fail to cooperate with Christ's gracious intervention. 2 Corinthians twelve seven. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect. In weakness, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, and I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I want to give three uh, ways that ministry can make you conceited unless God intervenes. So, very, very sharply be warned. Number one, theological knowledge can puff you up. There's conceit of theological knowledge. Now, you may think, you know, well, it's a stretch to say Paul is arguing that that theological knowledge leads to conceit. But elsewhere, 1 Corinthians 8, 1 and 2, uh, we all know that we, we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. Uh, that's the NIV version, but I thought it painted it very clear. Here's here he he is explicitly talking about theological knowledge. Um, some in Corinth had the right theological knowledge about meat offered to idols, but but what did it lead to? Well, it led to being puffed up. So he's saying something. 
you know, something simple. Knowing the truth has a tendency to inflate you. You become self-involved. You become proud, proud of your knowledge, proud of your insight. You love, love though, love on the other hand is is self-emptying. Love is saying your needs are more important than mine, but being puffed up means that you become more self-involved. You become proud. You become proud of your knowledge. You become proud of your insight. And Paul, Paul says that it doesn't have to be that way, but the fact that it is, um, and the fact is that it very often is. In his exposition of Ephesians 6, I think the words of um, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones are very helpful. So whenever you you allow your relationship to, of the truth uh, and relationship to the truth to become purely theological or theoretical or um, academic, you're falling into the grip of Satan. He said, the moment in your study you cease to come under the power of truth, you have become a victim of the devil. If you can study the Bible without being searched and examined and humbled, without being lifted up, made to praise God, or moved with sorrow over what God has endured in you, or amazed at the beauty and wisdom of what Christ has done for you, if you do not feel as much of a desire to sing when you're alone in your study as when you're standing in the pulpit, you are in bad shape, and you should always feel something in this power. I wholeheartedly agree. Lloyd-Jones proceeds to identify the marks of someone who has learned to master the Bible as a set of mere information, not extraordinary power. Something that I that I always keep in front of me, just, just me individually, me personally. I tell this to people. Uh, when I came out of the Memphis School of Preaching, I could rattle off 50 verses in a sermon. But I thought, that's, that's not doing any good. This generation is not informative. It's conversational. Uh, I don't want to puff people up. I don't want people to be puffed up about me. I don't want to be puffed up about myself, about how much I know and how much I can recite. I don't want to be, and this is what I make sure that people know, and myself, I don't want to be a master of the Scriptures. I want to be mastered by the Scriptures. I've said that on this podcast before. I want it to sing in my heart, and I want it to sing in your heart. One mark is that you become a spiritual crank. A spiritual crank is someone always complaining about relatively fine shades of doctrinal distinctions, always denouncing others in arguments over Bible translations or denouncing people on the wrong side of the latest theological controversy. A spiritual crank treats the Word of God as something you use, not something that uses you. He's puffed up on intellectual pride and his his theological tribe. One of the main reasons that I love polishing the pulpit and, and other workshops and, and things is is I can go into that place and nobody's looking at the spine of my Bible to, to see what version of the Bible that I'm using. That's just one of the things. Usually the spiritual cranks do not show up at polishing the pulpit. They don't want to be encouraged. They don't want to be enthralled with the Word of God, enthralled with the people of God. Uh, and that's the atmosphere that we love. And if you've ever been to a workshop or a week-long lectureship or something like that, uh, that's not your usual amen corner and amen hall, uh, with a bunch of stuffy ties and suits, you understand the the, the relaxive nature and, and the loving nature that comes with, with lectureships and things like that and uh, seminars and workshops like Polishing the Pulpit and other, and other things. Uh, you know, here at Ministry League, um, coming up in May, um, the last weekend of May, is, is a huge, huge event for, for everybody, everybody to come. Uh, much like p- polishing the pulpit is. It's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday deal. Anyway, so number one, uh, theological knowledge can puff you up. You know the rich 
religious snobs that, that you have in your mind, people that you know, I trust. You may even be one. Uh, so let me let me sharp, sharply warn you and warn myself. Let's let's not do that. Number two, ministry can become a very false sense of identity. I, I would say the second conceit from a false identity, based upon this this writer's question and statement, is a false identity created by ministry. You will tend to identify uh, personally with your ministry so much that its success or lack thereof becomes your success or lack thereof. So once you begin to identify in this way, you'll create a false identity based on your performance as a minister. If you don't understand this point, it will be one of your main battlegrounds in the years ahead. So what do I mean by false identity? Well, four major thoughts about this false identity. Number one is success. Any of us can build a false identity based on circumstances and performances. Every single Christian struggles with a false identity. Every non-Christian has a false identity. Those of us in full-time ministry will face the sting of success one way or the other. When people come to your church, you're going to feel like that they're affirming you and affirming your work and, your, and, and for me as pulpit minister. Uh, but when people leave the church and they leave your particular location, you're going to feel like that it's a personal attack. So success can be a false identity. Number two is criticism. If your ministry becomes your false identity, you won't be able to handle criticism. Criticism will come to you and it will be so traumatic because it questions how good of a preacher or elder or deacon or teacher, whatever that you are. Criticism says, you know, your preaching, your teaching, your whatever really isn't very good. And I want better, so I need to leave. Or I want, I want to criticize you. And so it feels like a personal attack. The criticism either devastates you or you dismiss it and you don't grow from it. Number three is cowardice. So... You would think that maybe that's not a big deal, but but it is. Success, criticism, and cowardice. If your ministry becomes your false identity, you will succumb to cowardice. And there are two kinds of cowardice. There's, there's true cowardice, being afraid to rock the boat or to offend people and offend the people who give the most money to the church or to preach a word that turns young people off. That's true cowardice. But there's another kind of cowardice that I call counterfeit cowardice. This is the cowardice of being too abrasive, of being too harsh, of running people off and then saying, see, I'm valiant for the truth, you know. This comes from identifying with your ministry, where you're no longer contending for the faith, but you're now contentious for the faith. You're not defending the truth, you're defiling the truth. So success, criticism, cowardice, number four, comparisons. One last sign that you've fallen into a false identity in your ministry is that you cannot stand comparisons. You get envious when you see others succeeding because you don't think they work as hard as you do or not as theologically astute as you are. Everything is coming up roses for them and their ministry, and that bothers you. So preacher, elder, deacon, whatever, there's nothing worse than identifying with your ministry. And by the way, if you don't think that that's going to be a lifelong struggle, you you don't know your own heart. Ministry can make you outwardly focused. So, as I said, number one, theological knowledge can puff you up. Number two, ministry can become a false identity. And then number three, ministry can make you outwardly focused. When you speak to people about God, you have two options. Commune with God or act like you commune with God. 
since the minister's job is to tell people how great God is and how wonderful the Christian life can be, his life needs to reflect it. So you either have to be close to God as you minister, or you have to act close to God. So either you truly learn how to commune with God, or you learn how to fake it. You talk as if you're a lot closer to God than you actually are. And not only do the people start to think that, but you start to think it too. That This can be devastating for your heart. That's, that is what is hor- what's so horribly dangerous about ministry. On Jesus' last night with the disciples, he said one of them would betray him, John 13, 21. And it's interesting to consider how the disciples responded. They all looked around and asked who this person was. In fact, after Jesus told them that it was one of the, that that uh, it was the one who would give bread to, um, they still didn't get it. And do you know why? Because Judas didn't look any different than they did. Outwardly, he was an effective minister. But inwardly, there was nothing there. He took care of his outward life more than he did his inward life. Jonathan Edwards, in his great book, Charity and Its Fruits, talks about the fact that God used Judas even though he wasn't saved. We don't want that to be our legacy in ministry. But here's where hypocrisy starts. Ministry is either going to make you a far better Christian or more faithful or, or strong. I don't really like the term better Christian, but it was, it's just what needs to be said. Or a far worse off Christian than you would have been otherwise. It's going to make you uh, a hard, pharisaical hypocrite, or it's going to turn you into a softer, more tender person. Because it forces you to go to the throne of grace and to beg the Lord for help in your own weaknesses. The ministry will either drive you to him or drive you away from him. Like Judas, you choose what life you care for. So in concluding thought, I want to I overcome your conceits. I want you to over, overcome conceits in your life. I want to do it in mine. How do we do that? How do we overcome these conceits? Remember Paul's situation in 2 Corinthians. He's facing apostles and teachers who, who are saying that he doesn't have the credentials to be a true apostle. Paul counters that that he does have the credentials, but not the kind that we would expect. He inverts all the categories. Instead of boasting about his theological knowledge and great success or picture-perfect outward life, he boasts in the insults and hardships and being run out of town on a rail. So this is, this is how he contends that God is truly with him. He tells us to look at all the things God has done to bring him to his knees. So, preacher, elder deacon, teacher and missionary, servant of Jesus. Consider all the things God has done to break your pride. Look at all the ways that he has brought you to the end of yourself so that you would cling to him more tightly. Let all your failures and disappointments and weaknesses drive you like a nail into the love of God. Only by embracing them will you ever become a true minister and make it to the finish line. It is my prayer for you that you will faithfully endure.